as all that unfolds. Praise God. I want to uh, I want to do something tonight. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them with me to Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians the second chapter. Praise God. And this is where we ended last week. And um, so let's uh, let's jump in uh, here again. And um, so many things that we talked about the last two classes, uh, we find them in condensed form here in Ephesians chapter 2. So there's no better way to review this than with what we find here. It says, And you he made alive, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, and it's one of my favorite but gods right there, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us, again, in Christ Jesus. Notice how many times that it's speaking of in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. All right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we said that salvation was made possible by what Jesus did for us. And we said that it's important, even if you know, you've never heard these things or had them explained to you, okay, it's still true about you. Uh, in other words, it's not like you weren't born again because you didn't know this. Uh, but it's very important for us to understand the, the depth of our salvation, to understand um, what all was involved in it. We, we led this section by saying the new birth is a literal experience. It's not figurative. It's, it's not uh, you know, like turning over a new leaf or something like that. It's not like I've been born again. I've been born again. Uh, and my spirit was born a second time from a different seed. And, the, and my old spirit was buried in an unmarked grave. And so we call this section identifying with the completed work of Jesus. And so just one more time, we said it involves, number one, his sinless life. When I couldn't live a sinless life, he came as my substitute, lived one for me. His death on the cross. The Apostle Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. We died that day with him, in him. We were buried with him. This is where our old man, our, not your physical body, uh, and, and not your soul, but your, your, that inward most part of you, the real you. Um, this was buried, uh, dead and buried uh, in Christ Jesus. But then he says we were raised together with him. And this is, this is where the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, so reckon yourself resurrected. In, in other words, it's one thing to, for all this to be true about you, but for you to never think of yourself in light of these truths, for, for your mind to never be renewed. And, and really grasp uh, that all of this is true about you. Notice the, the passage we read in Ephesians 2. It begins with, and you he made alive, right? Personalizing these things. And then, of course, the fifth thing that we see is his ascension. Ephesians 2 and other places says that, that we are seated together with him. 
So, he, as our substitute, He lived a sinless life for us. He died for us as us. He was buried for us as us. He raised for us as us. And now He is seated together in the heavenly places and we are seated together there with Him. So, um, I'm wanting you again to understand while receiving salvation can be a relatively simple thing. And I know some folks that it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. But remember, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and that Father God has raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. Another place just simply says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So Jesus made salvation uh, very accessible for us. In other words, He did the heavy lifting. He, he did all the work um, so that it's, you know, you know, not just impossible, not just possible, but again, relatively easy to receive salvation. But there's so many people who've been born again that never really understand what's true about them now and what took place uh, the day they became this new creation in Christ Jesus and who they became the day they became this new creation um, in Christ Jesus. Now, to um, finish up this section, um, and again, a pretty uh, vanilla title for it, but I, I call this um, understanding uh, key salvation terminology, all right? And, and I, I've learned in my own life, I, I looked up a word this morning in, in, in a class that I was preparing. And by the way, um, uh, my morning classes, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, anyway, uh, we've started those back at the foundry. Very, very excited about that. Um, you know, you do something practically every morning uh, you know, with the exception of your vacation, a few days off here and there, uh, for years and years and years, you know, you just miss it. And so um, I know some of those men and women are watching tonight the live stream, and I'm just over the moon uh, about being reconnected with them and, and able to pour into them and, and um, so uh, blessed by those who have stuck it out there at the foundry during this uh, unique season. But I was, I, I said all that just kind of triggered something, but you know, preparing for my class, you know, early this morning before going to the foundry, you know, just a, a simple word that, um, you know, looking up what it means for something to be revealed. Um, and and it's, it has to do, again, with something that's hidden being uncovered, something that was previously unknown being made known. And, and, and so the point being, um, we can use words... Uh, hear words, but never really understand what those words mean. And a lot of times even, and I've been guilty of this, I know, um, because we, we don't really understand what a word means, we interchange it with other words that mean something entirely different. Faith and hope, for example, uh, is a classic example of this. Uh, you know, uh, People talk about hoping and praying. He didn't tell us to hope and pray. He told us to believe and pray. And so hope is one thing, it's important. Believing faith is another thing, it's important. But if we don't understand the difference between the two, we just kind of use them interchangeably. And so when we talk about our salvation, there are four key terms, four very important words that we see in the New Testament. We see them in the Old Testament, but in light of the New Testament that um, are very, very important for us to, to dig into and understand uh, the meaning of. Okay, so that's going to be pretty much the balance of what we uh, dig into uh, tonight, all right? So, understanding key salvation terminology. These are words, remember now, um, 
you know, words carry meaning. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, God breathed. So the words that God breathed, the, the words that He used to explain and communicate to you and me the depth and magnitude, the, the scope of our salvation, very important words for us uh, to understand. In other words, these aren't my words to describe our salvation. These are Father's words to describe our salvation. All right. So the first word is the word propitiation. Okay, and I'm going to put it up on the screen here. So number one uh, is this word propitiation. Some people say propitiation, and um, if you, again, if you look it up, both pronunciations are acceptable. Okay, um, so either propitiation, propitiation. We're going to just pick one and go with it. Propitiation, and this word propitiation means to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. All right, to appease, to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. This is what propitiation means. All right, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 2 and uh, verse number 1. There's a pastor in, in Arkansas named Buzzy Sutherland, and he calls uh, the epistles of John Little John and the Gospel of John Big John. So Little John... Uh, <laughs> First little John chapter 2, amen. All right, it says this, uh, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world, all right? Now, before we dig into the, the propitiation part, notice that the Holy Spirit inspired John to write these words to reveal truth to us, to, to, to build understanding and communicate meaning to us that once understood would be instrumental in motivating us to not sin. It, it, it's, it's one thing, and, and this is uh, you know, kind of sad for me, but, but religion tends to just point out sin. That sin, that sin, you shouldn't this, you shouldn't that, okay? Um, listen, that's not, that's not, Father's not just trying to point it out. He's, he's, he's wanting to give you an answer. He's, 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 he's trying to help you overcome it and rise above it, both in all that He's completed uh, you know, in your life through the work of Jesus, but then also as we grow up into Jesus in all things. And so he's saying, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about a hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that everyone who has this hope will be motivated to purify their lives even as Christ is pure. So he's talking about... Um, an understanding of what's been done for us, an understanding of what's been freely given to us, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, and a, and a greater understanding of that sacrifice and gift becoming a motivating factor uh, for us to clean up our lives. And, and this is what I've, I've experienced in my own life and also in working with a lot of other folks, okay? That is a much uh, better motivator than fear. Uh, and again, religion tries 
to scare us straight. Religion tries to you know, threaten us or guilt us or shame us or condemn us into not sinning. Okay? Uh, but that's, that's, that's not the New Testament. That's not the Gospel. And so the more we understand what's been done for us, what's been given to us, uh, the more we will be motivated to live a life of purity uh, before God as unto Him. So it says that Jesus Himself, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and He Himself, Jesus Himself, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. So, we've been introducing um, this truth uh, we've actually been uh, studying it in depth on our time together on Sunday mornings that Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sin. That by offering Himself one time for all sin, uh, he, he was able to provide uh, payment. Uh, he was able to uh, appease, satisfy the wrath of God. Uh, the punishment that, that we all uh, had coming, that we all deserved, uh, Jesus took that bullet for us. Jesus absorbed that penalty for us. This is what, it, this, is what this word propitiation means. But there's something that's, that's very important in the way this is written. It doesn't just say that Jesus provided propitiation. It doesn't just say that Jesus made propitiation available. But the Holy Spirit through John emphasized that Jesus Himself is the propitiation. Okay? Um, it's not just that He provided it, but that He be it. That He is it. Alright? Now... We're going to build on this as we work our way through these things, but let me jump ahead for just a moment and explain to you why that's important. Because Jesus is eternal. He's, he's not getting old. He's not going to die. He, and He is our propitiation. That means our propitiation is eternal. Because, because our propitiation is not a, a, a thing, but it's an eternal being. Amen. And so... He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. See, the good news that we have to go and tell the world is not that they're going to hell. The good news we have to go tell the world is that someone has taken the penalty for their sin so they don't have to go to hell. The wrath of God is speaking of eternal punishment, eternal damnation. All right, let's turn over just a couple of chapters. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, it's been months ago that we really dug into Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus, but it was very confusing until it all unfolded that that father through the prophet said that it pleased him for Jesus to suffer. You think, well, wait a second, that, that sounds you know, kind of messed up right there. But notice it was part of the plan. Jesus didn't stumble onto being our propitiation. 
It was something he agreed to before Adam was ever created. And so notice that Father loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, uh, that, that substitutionary work that we've been talking about. That Jesus came as our representative, as our substitute, and Jesus uh, became the propitiation for our sins. Now, um, let's, let's turn to John chapter 3 now. John chapter 3. And there's a lot in, in John the third chapter that we could look at. We're just going to single out one verse for sake of, of time and our purposes tonight. Um, I wrote this in my notes some time ago. Um, what do you do when you happen to love the object of your wrath? And that's the predicament that Father found himself in. Um, he, you know, the soul that sinned shall die. The wages of sin is death. Uh, except for Father didn't want you and me to die. We, he loves us and, 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 and wants us in fellowship with Him. He wants to bless you and be good to you and love you, not punish you and, 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 and do you know, give to you and me what we deserve because of our choices and actions. And so the simple answer is, He satisfied His wrath by turning it upon Himself. He satisfied His wrath by turning it upon Himself, by sending Jesus to be the propitiation, the appeasement of wrath for our sins. Now, maybe some of you are ahead of me uh, and, 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 and are thinking, well, Pastor Mark, if that's true, why didn't Father just look the other way? Well, because He would not be just, and again, we'll explain this in a minute looking at some verses, He, he would not be a fair judge if He just pretended like our sin never happened. So the sin was committed in order for Him to be a just God, and prove His righteousness, then our sin had to be judged and penalized. Right? And so the answer was for Jesus to appease that wrath. Now, I want to make sure as well, before we look at this next verse, that I mention this because I don't want to overlook it. And, and as I was preparing for tonight, that was kind of something the Holy Spirit was, was breathing on and reminding me of. And so... Um, as we work our way through these things, every one of these you know, salvation uh, terms, extremely important. Matter of fact, I'm going to say it this way. You take one of them out, you can't have salvation. Okay? <laughs> you know, in other words, if Jesus did not absorb the wrath that we all had coming, then we're still under wrath. Right? Uh, so every one of, of, of them is important. But as we work our way through this, there, there is a progression that I want to point out to you. And that is, as we move through these, in order for you to benefit, it's going to require involvement on your part. Okay. Now, as odd as it may sound, Jesus was the propitiation for your sins and for my sins, and He didn't ask either one of us our permission to do that. In other words, He did it without permission from us, which means He did it without any guarantee that we would ever take Him up on what He you know, do, has done for us. And, and of course, many people on planet Earth don't know about this, but there are a lot of people who know, but still reject it. Right? So Jesus is the propitiation, not for our sins only. It's not just that He absorbed the wrath for the sins of those who are born again. He, he did it for whosoever. That's why anybody can call on the name of the Lord now and be saved, because Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the entire world. Every sin that will ever be committed ever has been committed, ever will be committed, Jesus is the propitiation 
for that sin. All right? Now, um, John chapter 3 and verse number 36, it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. So I've been telling you now for weeks that the moment you're born again, you receive the Zoe, the life and nature of God, uh, eternal, without end, and overflowing abundance. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, and, and we see that that life is everlasting. So he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, has Zoe. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So what we have to understand is that the wrath of God abides upon every human being. Uh, but there is a way out from under that wrath. There is a way out from under that, that punishment. And, and again, there's all kind of verses that talk about you know, how Father uh, is long-suffering and how he, he, he is forbearing. And, and you know, if, if, if He was to judge every sin immediately, none of us would, <laughs> would have made it out of our childhood, right? Um, but, but again, He's long-suffering and He's forbearing. There's a lot of folks who think, and the devils can deceive them into thinking, that they're getting away with it, but, but my friend, they are not. They have mistaken the mercy of God and the long-suffering and the patience of God with God looking the other way. So remember now, um, <clears throat> he himself, uh, propitiation, I was going back to 1 John, let me just do it this way, I'll just review it right quick. Propitiation is to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. So when we receive from Jesus, again, accepting what he's done for us, uh, for ourselves, then that's what lifts the wrath off of us. Those who have not believed on Jesus, you see, the Bible says that the wrath of God still abides upon that person. All right, now, let's move to number two. So no, number one is propitiation. Number two is a word, again, you've heard it in songs and hymns and, and so forth and so on, is this word redemption. Redemption is the second key salvation term that I want us to look at tonight, all right? And redemption is a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom. A release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom. And of course we have in parentheses there on the slide, this could apply to a prisoner or it could apply to a slave. Alright, turn with me to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews chapter 9 and we'll look at verse number 11 and a few others there. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, alright? So, a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom. In addition to Jesus being the propitiation for our sins, He is also our redemption. Not just that He paid for, but that He Himself is, again, our redemption. And I'll show you that to you in Scripture. Let me... Um, I, I wrote this uh, explanation in my notes some time ago. It's, it's a little rough. I probably ought to polish it up. But it makes the point, I believe, um, uh, pretty well. And so let me just read through this right quick before we look at these verses. All right? um, in, in, the, in the days that the, the Word was written, um, there was no such thing like as, as, as bankruptcy laws to protect someone and and still in, in you know, developing countries, you'd be put in prison you know, for, for debts, unpaid debts, and, and, and so forth and so on. But in, in Bible days, 
if you had debts that you couldn't pay, um, you uh, could be sold uh, as, as a slave, and even your family um, could, could be broken up and, and sold into slavery by the creditors to, to cover uh, your debt. So remember, again, that redemption is a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom, and this would include, um, let's say, a debt that, that's gotten someone in, in prison or someone's been sold into slavery, all right? Now, we also see in Scripture the concept of what's called a kinsman redeemer. And this would be someone that's you know, related to you in some way, and, and, and that relative could step forward and pay your debt for you and secure your release from either prison or slavery. A kinsman redeemer. So notice again, all of these provisions that we see spelled out for us in the Old Testament are, are, are once again that giant index finger pointing forward to the day when Jesus would come as our kinsman, capital K, Redeemer, capital R. So, here's my simple example. A man gets in tremendous debt due to failure and mismanagement of his farming business. Okay? And he and his family are sold into slavery to help cover the debts. His older brother hears word of this and redeems this man and his family, buying them out of slavery and paying their debts. Okay, Buying them out of slavery and paying their debts. Now, let me plant something now that we're going to be building on. We talk about buying them out of slavery and paying their debts. We're talking about both the mistakes that they made being covered and the consequences of those mistakes. See, the devil would have you believe that Jesus paid for your sin but did not pay for the consequences of your sin. That's absolutely incorrect, right? He paid for your sin and He paid for the consequences of your sin. Now, the... Um, the same thing, so in this family, right, that, that uh, poor management in the farming business, bunch of debt, brother had to go in and redeem them, older brother had to go in and redeem them. It had happened, the same thing had happened before. Uh, uh, eight years earlier, the same thing had happened, and the older brother had redeemed the man and his family at that time also. All right? So... Again, I know this is a little bit rough, um, but I want you to follow what's going on here. There's a pattern where the man um, got into debt, wound up him and his family in prison, older brother redeemed him, then eight years later, they do the same thing again. Okay, Concerned that he would one day die and not be around to redeem his brother, sister-in-law, nieces, and nephews, should they ever become slaves again, the older brother devised a plan. He went to every merchant. Listen to me now. There's, there's some revelation here that's going to help you. He went to every merchant. He went to every farmer's co-op. He went to every John Deere dealership. He went to every, every bank and savings and loan in town and gave each a sum of money so great 
that it would be impossible for his younger brother to ever be in debt again. All right? So he didn't just pay the debt and the consequences that were present tense, but he devised a plan as a kinsman redeemer to provide redemption for his brother, his little brother, and his, and his little brother's family all the way through the, the end of their lives. Okay? In other words, he paid debts for them before those debts were incurred, before those debts were accumulated. Now, if you can understand what I'm, and again, this is rough, maybe I'll spend some time polishing it up here, but I'm, I'm trying to get you to see uh, by a practical, simple explanation what Jesus has done for us. He is our redemption. He has paid our debts. He has paid our ransom. He has, he has paid the penalty for us, right, so that we can be free. But because He is our redemption, we see that we can never be enslaved again. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. If you've ever wondered why we say good things coming at Heritage, it's Hebrews 9.11. Jesus is our high priest, and He's the high priest of good things to come. It's time for the body of Christ. It's time for members in the body of Christ. It's time for born-again believers to stop focusing on the bad things that were and get our faith and our focus on the good things to come. My brother, my sister, your best days are not behind you. Your best days in Christ Jesus are ahead of you. And I'm not just talking about heaven and sweet by and by, you know, one day when we leave this life. My best days on planet earth are still ahead of me. I'm so thankful for wonderful days behind me, but my best days are still ahead of me because Jesus is my high priest and He's the high priest of good things to come. I know, and again, no disrespect, I have a lot of people correct me, no, Pastor, good things are here. Thank God good things are here. And we're rejoicing in those good things. We're celebrating and we're thankful and we're testifying of the good things that we're experiencing right now. But as important as those things are, many, many people rest upon uh, you know, the, the, the current victories and success in their lives without doing what Paul did, and that's continuing to press to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of them. Amen. And so thankful for what's right here. Good things are here. Yes and amen. Shout it from the rooftop. But Jesus is also the high priest of good things to come. Now listen to what he says here. Uh, high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained temporary redemption. Is that what it says? No. Having obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. So we talk about eternal redemption. We're talking about redemption forever. Okay? Let's keep going. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, this is talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? All right. Now, we could, we could spend the rest of our time together probably just talking about these verses. I want to try to keep pushing forward tonight. But the key thing here I want you to notice 
is that those Old Testament sacrifices made a provision for covering over sin and it had to do with an outward purification. What Jesus has done for us has not just cleansed us outwardly, but it has purged us and cleansed us inwardly. Alright? So, verse number 15, And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, we see the word eternal used three times in these verses. First of all, eternal redemption. Then, how Jesus offered Himself, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. So, again, we knew Jesus according to the flesh, is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. But there was more to Him that met the eye, just like there's more to you than meets the eye. And so it wasn't just Jesus' body that was offered. He offered His entire being. He offered Himself, right? He, and so because He is an eternal spirit and lives forever, was raised from the dead to die no more, we see that He has provided the eternal redemption by offering Himself through an eternal spirit. And now we see verse 15, that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Eternal as opposed to something that's temporary, expiring, fading away, or, or what have you. Well, I don't know, this, this just gets me excited. And, and, and I hope it's, it's stirring you up as well. It's, um, again, extremely, extremely important. Now, let's, um, let's move on to number three. Praise God. So, again, propitiation, redemption. Number three of the four salvation terms that we're looking at tonight is this word justification. And justification means to declare innocent, to acquit, to declare righteous. Alright? And again, this is just as if I had never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. We've been, we've been saying it for I don't know how many Sunday mornings in a row now. Father God wants to treat you and wants to treat me like our sin never happened. It's not just that we want Him to do that. He wants to be able to do that. And because of what Jesus has done for us, He now has that luxury. Jesus' completed work provides Father God the luxury of treating you, responding to you, loving you like your sin, like my sin, never happened. This is what it means to be justified. He appeased the wrath. He paid the debt so that He could declare you innocent so that He could declare you right before God in the eyes of God. You, my friend, as a born-again believer, are not just a sinner who's been forgiven. You, the real you, your born-again spirit, amen. When Father looks at you, He sees the same righteousness as Jesus Himself. He sees you as someone who has never sinned. Man, that's just straight-up good news right there. Alright, go with me to Romans Chapter 3, Romans, the third chapter. All right, now I just want to remind you, notice propitiation for the sins of the whole world. He did that without asking anybody's permission. All right? And then in that work, He also is our redemption. But we have to receive that. Just because He's paid that penalty doesn't mean the whole world's going to heaven. Remember, we looked at the passage in John 3. Jesus did that. But if you don't believe on the Son, that wrath that Jesus took for you, right? This is what's so sad, and I'm not trying to just so simplify this tonight, right? 
But, um, you know, I don't know about you, I, I don't like paying twice for the same thing. You, you follow what I'm saying? I mean, if I buy two hamburgers, I want two hamburgers in the sack. I don't want to pay, two, pay for two and get one. Well, in the same way, it, what's so sad for me is how many people are, are going to, uh, to endure punishment needlessly uh, that Jesus has already absorbed for them, but they have not received for themselves what it is that Jesus has already done on their behalf. Right Now, let me just clarify something right quick. In the, in the English you know, translation of the Bible, the words justified, justification, righteous, righteousness, they all come from the same Greek word. Okay? So a lot of times, you know, we, we talked at the beginning how you know, words get interchanged that, that don't have the same meaning, but justification and righteousness all come from the same root as far as the word and the meaning. And, and again, to declare innocent, to acquit, to declare righteous. Not you're guilty, but I'm going to forgive you. Justified means just as if, again, I'd never sinned. All right, Romans chapter 3, verse 19. It says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, this is speaking of the law of Moses, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. A lot of teaching we could do here, but basically the law of Moses was given uh, to God's people through Moses not because it was going to make them righteous. The Bible makes it very clear throughout the New Testament that, that the law cannot make a man right before God in the eyes of God, cannot justify or make righteous. The law was given to make us aware of our sin, to make the whole world realize they're guilty before God, and, and, and at that point uh, come to the conclusion that we can't save ourselves, we can't make ourselves right, and we must then, if we're going to be right, receive the free gift of righteousness that Father God is offering to us. All right? Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. In other words, a way to be right before God in the eyes of God that doesn't involve uh, performance-based religion. But he says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, he's saying it's just now being revealed, but this is not something new. It's something that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, uh, spoke of prophetically pointing to the day in which we now live. It goes on to say, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, right? That's one thing that, that I want to really emphasize here. We talk about being justified and being made righteous. We've been given the righteousness of God. He did not give us some uh, beta version of righteousness. He did not give us like, um, you know, righteousness light. He, he gave us his righteousness. That's the righteousness that we've become because we were born of His seed. Remember we said seed determines the nature of a thing. The nature of God, among other things, is righteousness. He's a righteous God. And because we were born of His seed, it is the seed now that determines my righteousness. I like to say it this way. When I was, when I was born of David and Brenda Winslet, I was born with brown eyes. When I was born a second time of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, I was born again righteous. Righteousness is not something that, that I have in my pocket. 
it, it, it's not like I've got my righteousness card that I can flash when I come to the pearly gates. Righteousness is something that I've become. It's, it, is, it is inherent. It is, it is my nature now. My new nature is righteousness because I was born of the seed of righteousness. All right? So, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Heard that verse 10,000 times. I'm exaggerating. Maybe not. Maybe more. I don't know. A bunch of times in my life. But I thought the Bible ended right there. Or at least the book of Romans. Or at least that chapter ended right there. Uh, it was a long time before you know, anybody explained to me that there's a comma at the end of verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So do you see, this verse connects redemption and justification. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, alright, so now there comes that other word, by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. So remember a moment ago we said that Father can't just sweep my sin or your sin under the rug and pretend like it never happened. Um, because that would be a demonstration of unrighteousness on his part. We were teaching on these things, I don't know, several Sunday mornings ago, and, you know, it's like if, if someone has been wronged, and, you know, some family member, you know, was assaulted, and, and, and you go before a physical judge, and it turns out the person who beat up uh, uh, your, your auntie, you know, uh, is, you know, plays golf with the judge, and the judge doesn't hold him accountable, then we wouldn't just be upset with the person that committed the crime against us, but we would be, if perhaps, if anything, more upset with the judge, right, because he's being unjust or he's being unrighteous. So all that Jesus did, redeeming us, being propitiation for us, um, God did to demonstrate His righteousness, Right? Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Remember, I asked you a moment ago, what do you do when the object of your, you love the object of your wrath? And so how can Father God be fair, be a just judge, and also be the one who justifies you? who makes you right. Amen. Again, Jesus solved that dilemma for him because he came and appeased the wrath for us. He came and paid the penalty for us. Amen. He came and lived a sinless life for us. So verse 27, where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Performance? Something you've done to earn or deserve? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You see, in the Old Testament, right standing with God was something you earned by performance. Okay? In the New Testament, right standing before God is, is something you become uh, because of what you've believed. It's not about performance. It's about what you receive by faith. Right? Now... Praise the name of the living God. I'm, I'm kind of rushing this, but I, I'm feeling compelled to do it. So let's, let's dig in just a little bit more here. Turn to Romans 5, and I want to 
show you a couple of verses there. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, I'll put them on the screen. Notice it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My, my brother, I've heard him say it, Matthew, I've heard him say it for years, right? In Christ Jesus, Father God buried the hatchet. Amen. There's, there's, no, there's no more um, separation between God and, uh, and man. Um, we've been justified, and because we've been made right before God in the eyes of God, we stand before God just as if we've never sinned. We now have peace with Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go, same chapter, chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, this is speaking of Adam's sin, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness um, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. For if by one man's offense death reigned through Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. I've received an abundance of grace and of that abundance of grace, included in that abundance of grace, is the gift of righteousness. Included in that abundance of grace is Jesus paying my ransom. Including in that abundance of grace is Jesus absorbing the consequences of my sin. Included in that abundance of grace is Jesus appeasing the wrath that I deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 might be the most accurate verse when it comes to this that we have in all the Word of God. For He, Father God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. Amen. All right, so number one, propitiation. Number two, redemption. Number three, justification. Number four, reconciliation. Reconciliation. And reconciliation means to reestablish a close relationship between. Reconciliation means to reestablish a close relationship between. Okay? Now, thank you, Lord. All right, let's, let's plow ahead. We, we, we're probably next week, all of these are important, don't misunderstand me, but we're, we're probably going to next week spend a little more time on righteousness and on the subject of righteousness, okay? Uh, justification, what it really means to be justified. But let's, you know, for the sake of what we're covering this evening, um, I've, I've, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff here in my notes that I feel like we need to come back to. But let's, um, let's talk about, for a moment, reconciliation, and, and we'll wrap it up for tonight. So reconciliation means to reestablish a close relationship between. Not establish, but reestablish. And you say, well, how can you reestablish something that hasn't initially been established? Well, it was initially established. The, the close relationship between God and man was established in the Garden of Eden when God created Adam. Sin interrupted that. Sin, sin severed that close relationship. Now it has been reestablished in Christ Jesus. So remember, He paid for the propitiation for all the world's sins without asking our permission. But if you're going to you know, enjoy the benefits of His redemption and His justification, um, it's going to require you believing and receiving it and then ultimately renewing your mind to it. That's why I want to spend some more time with, with righteousness. But notice the greatest level of involvement on our part 
is reconciliation. Because there's a whole lot of folks that have been, you know, the wrath of God's appeased, the redemption that has been paid for, they've been justified, but they still don't have any time for a close relationship with Father God. Uh, because again, if you're going to have that and enjoy that, it's going to require uh, some effort on your part. And uh, <laughs> if I could just be as bl blunt about it as possible, you know, Jesus gave us two very important parables along these lines. Um, we're we're going to have to quit insisting on a relationship with Him on our terms and accept a relationship with Father God on, on His terms. But anyway, um, let's move on. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All right? Now, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 19. Colossians 1 and 19. All right. It says this, and um, we mentioned it earlier from Isaiah, but it says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, speaking of Jesus, and by Him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him. Okay, so Father by Him has reconciled all things to Himself by Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, there comes that personalization, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He is reconciled. In the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Wow. Alright, there's a lot more to come on that verse. Let's, um, I'll come back to that next week. Let's go into Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. It says, Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. All right? This same passage from the Amplified. And those whom He thus foreordained, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified, acquitted, made righteous, putting them into right standing with Himself. And those whom He justified, He also glorified, raising them to a heavenly dignity and condition or state of being. <clears throat> let's, let's go back to um, propitiation, redemption, justification. All of those things necessary for reconciliation so that we can be reestablished in a close relationship close fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Also that we can have that oneness with Him that He longs to have with each one of us. We began these classes 30 some odd weeks ago um, with 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talking about some of these things. I know a lot of you weren't necessarily with us during that time or maybe you were and just it's like, well that was a two hour class, Pastor Mark. What are you talking about? Well, Remember the quote from Dr. Neil T. Anderson, that God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, 
reconciliation. I like to say it this way. Daddy wants his kids back. Amen. And Jesus has done all that he has done for you and me so that your sin could, could be uh, paid for, propitiation, redemption, made right before God in the eyes of God like one who's never sinned so that we can enjoy that kind of oneness and fellowship with our Father. Amen. Let me pray for you tonight. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us, for all that you've given to us. Thank you for the love that you have for us, and it's because of your great love with which you've loved us, Lord, that we've been made alive together with Jesus. It's because of the great love with which you've loved us that we've been raised from spiritual death. It's because of the great love with which you've loved us that we've been saved and are now seated together with him in heavenly places. I thank you, Father, tonight as we've looked at words, perhaps, um, you know, Maybe propitiation might be kind of an outlier for some folks, but for the most part, I think people are familiar with these words, reconciliation, justification, redemption, Father. But as we've dug deeper into them, Lord, I thank you that, that you're revealing to us, um, again, the depth, the magnitude, the scope of what you've done for us so that we can be saved men and women, born again men and women. I thank you that we have been presented before you by Jesus as holy, blameless, and above reproach. And Father, I thank you tonight that our minds are being renewed to these truths. And Father, it's not enough for us just to hear these things, but I pray that by your holy word and by your Holy Spirit, Father, that our minds would be renewed and reconditioned, that we begin to see ourselves as someone who's been redeemed, someone who has been justified, someone who has been reconciled, in the eternal nature, because Jesus is our propitiation. He is our redemption. Father, Jesus is our justification, and He is our reconciliation, because we have been made one with Him. We've been made one with You. So thank You, Father, for this evening together. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what You're doing in our lives and in our families. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you again for joining us tonight. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday morning at 10.30. Amen. Good things coming.